TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I need to beg your indulgence for a few moments here before we get to the news of the day, the special counsel, the, uh, well, just the the daily tack uh, that is occurring here as the establishment in Washington attempts to regain what it believes is rightfully it's rightfully theirs. Uh, one of my closest and dearest friends and colleagues passed away at six minutes after eight o'clock this morning uh, here in South Florida. Roger Ailes, 77 years old. Roger and I were passengers in history. I met Roger in around 1990, one night at dinner at the 21 Club in New York. And my life was never the same thereafter. There is, as we speak, and there has been for the past year, a barrage of slander and libel aimed at Roger Ailes by pissants, who will never accomplish even 5% of what he did. These are people that did not know him, that prejudged him, that were jealous, people who were envious, and people who felt the need to take down a serious enemy who threatened what they consider to be their rightful hold on the media, on America, or what have you. Some of the things being said just today about Roger Ailes are absolutely untrue. Roger Ailes was not suicidal. Roger Ailes was not defeated. Roger Ailes was not destroyed. And Roger Ailes and his courageous and lovely wife, Beth, were not separated. These are things people wish that they had made happen. These are things that people wish they had caused. They wish they had destroyed Roger Ailes. They wish they had created marital strife. They wish they could have caused him to become suicidal. But he was not any of those things. I knew Roger Ailes. I've known Roger Ailes, as I say, from about 1990. And I could sit here and recount stories for you and give a eulogy of sorts, which more than prepared to do. But I think the way I would do this, rather do this, is to go back and replay some comments I made in a speech in honor of Roger back in 19, I'm sorry, 2009. It was in Terrytown, New York. This was the Westchester Putnam Council of the Boy Scouts of America up in New York, and Roger was their annual award winner. And in addition to the 
roster of speakers, somebody from the Boy Scout Council reached out to me and asked if I would come up and make some remarks, and I was flattered and honored to do so. And I want to, I don't think we've ever played the, and I'm not going to play the entire length of the of the remarks I made, but I'm going to play more than we have played uh, in the past on the program here. Because what I would like for people to know is the Roger Ailes that I know, Roger Ailes that I knew, the brilliant, inspiring, motivating, compassionate, funny, the most naturally funny human being I have ever met. I've never encountered Roger Ailes in despair. Wouldn't allow himself to be. I've never, I've never been around him when he was fatalistic or even depressed. Quite the opposite. He had virtually every characteristic of great leadership. And he knew it. And he was aware of it. And he used it as best he could to try to get the best out of everybody that worked for him and worked with him. You'll read all the things about how he got started on the Mike Douglas show, essentially in the mailroom, ended up producing the program. You'll read about the stories of him taking over the campaign successfully of Richard Nixon and George Bush. And I have my own stories of Roger Ailes and American presidential politics, such as it's 1992. The first year of the Rush Limbaugh television show that Roger Ailes executive produced for four years. The television show had not yet begun, slated for fall production. That would have been in September. This happened to be in June. So I get a call. Roger says, uh, hey, we're going to Washington. Pack a bag. We're staying overnight. And I said, what, 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 what's going on? He said, we're going to White House. What? Yeah, we're going to White House. President wants to talk to you. What? President Bush wants to talk to you. Pack a bag and, and meet me so and so. So we flew to Washington. We were to have dinner at the White House with President Mrs. Bush. When we arrived, we arrived early on purpose, and we went to the Old Ebbett Grill, which is a restaurant just across the street from the White House. I said, what are we doing here? We're having dinner over there. He said, no, we're not. They don't eat. They eat like birds. If you want dinner tonight, we're going to eat here, and then we're going to go over there to dinner. That's what we did. We had dinner at the Old Ebbett Grill, chowed down, went over to the White House, and he was right. President and Mrs. Bush ate very sparingly. In fact, they served finger bowls after dinner for washing your hands. And I looked at it. I was kind of perplexed, and I didn't quite know what to do. Mrs. Bush looked at me with wide eyes, afraid that I was going to think it was soup. She was looking at me like, please don't, don't, don't. I could just see it in her eyes. So I sort of faked picking up a spoon and make it, no, 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 no. It's a finger bowl. I said, I knew, I knew. I'm just lightening things up. After dinner, we piled in a limousine. We went over to the Kennedy Center, where the president attended a performance of something or other. When the president arrived, everything is stopped, and he's introduced. So was I. I'm so embarrassed I can't begin to tell you. Roger is off 
outside the spotlight. Roger's nowhere to be seen. He's there. He's in the same row, but he's off out of spotlight. The crowd's looking up. <laughs> same opinion I had. What am I doing there? We go backstage, meet the cast and the crew of the production, head back to the White House after it's over in the presidential limousine and discuss the presidential campaign of 1992. It was really at the peak moment of Perot. Slept that night in the Lincoln bedroom. Ailes slept across the hall in the Queen's bedroom. I got a total history lesson of the White House, the residence, the Lincoln bedroom, such as was his never his bedroom. It was always his office in the Second World War. There was no West Wing. Lincoln never slept in this room, but they they carry forward a tradition. They call it the Lincoln bedroom, but it, it, it's, it's only a bedroom for guests now. I didn't go to bed that night. I, did, I didn't want to lose consciousness while there. So we left the next morning, uh, hopped a plane, shuttled back up to New York, did the radio show, talked about it. Uh, Roger Ailes uh, made that happen. Roger was able to open doors for people and willingly and happily did so. And it was never for his benefit. Not directly. It was always in furtherment of a cause or helping somebody else. But what I want to play for you, and I've got countless stories like that, that I can share with you, but I think I'd rather play for you a portion of the tribute that I delivered back on the 11th of November 2009. This is shortly after Obama has just been elected, by the way. And it's, again, the Westchester Putnam Council of the Boy Scouts of America. Roger Ailes, the 2009 Good Scout Award ceremony. Here's a portion of what I said. One man has established a culture for 1,700 people who believe in it, who follow it, who execute it. Roger Ailes cannot do everything. Roger Ailes is not on the air. Roger Ailes does not ever show up on camera. And yet, everybody who does is a reflection of him. He has the ability to inspire, to motivate, to enthuse. People around Roger Ailes are not negative. If they are, he sends out a memo. The memo says, negative people make healthy people sick. A uh, personal story. We all grow up wanting to be loved. None of us are raised to be hated. And yet, and I was the same way. I mean, I, many of us will alter our own personalities to be accepted by people. We'll try to figure out what people want us to be and then be that so that we'll be liked. In the process of doing that, we deny who we really are. Now, when I was growing up, nobody hated me and nobody thought that I hated anybody else had personality conflicts with people, disagreements. Nobody thought I hated anybody, and nobody hated me. Six months after my national radio show started, 20% uh, of the country hated me just because of my values, just because of my conservatism. And I didn't know how to deal with this. And I was looking for advice from anybody who could tell me how to respond to all this baseless criticism of mine. And people said, well, you can't let it stand. You've got to respond to it. You can't let that start. And if I responded to it, the critics 
thought they'd hit a home run and just mounted even more criticism because I had reacted to it. Other people said, you got to ignore it. All you do by responding to it is, is elevated. More people hear about it than otherwise would have. This went on for three years. I had to learn, which was a tough psychological thing for me, I had to learn how to take being hated as a measure of success. Nobody's raised for that. And the person that taught me to deal with this and to remain psychologically healthy was Roger Ailes. And had that not happened, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am tonight. And I don't say that, and I didn't say that lightly. Um, it was, it was a, it was a yeah, really confusing time. As I say, I had not been hated or didn't hate anybody, but simply because I was on the radio now and effectively espoused conservatism, that automatically made me, you know, all the isms, racism, sexism, bigot, homophobic. And it, it, it's a tough thing to have to turn to uh, being hated and convert that into a measure of success because we're not raised that way. Nobody is. Nobody's raised to want to be hated. Quite the opposite. And to take being headed as a measure of success, it's a psychological challenge. And it was Roger Ailes that, that gave me advice and lessons he had learned himself, but basically how just to overcome all of that with confidence, self-esteem, and recognize the people saying it don't know what they're talking about and don't know you. The people who do know you know who you are. That's all you can do, and that's all that matters. Seek your happiness from the people that love you, and you love them, because you're never going to be loved by people that never know you. And it was much more detailed and involved in that, but it was extremely, essentially helpful. Here's the next little segment from the... My relationship with Roger has been deeply personal in a friendship level and a professional level that I've never experienced with anybody else that I've worked for or worked with. And even though Roger has had nothing to do with my radio show, he was the exec producer of my TV show for four years, the things I've learned from him about being a man, about the country, about how to be a professional, nobody else taught me. Nobody else was capable of teaching me. I was, it was a you know, crapshoot whether I would have learned it on my own, but maybe I would have, but I didn't have to because they had Roger behind me telling me how to react, how to be. I remember one night on our TV show, I was just, for some reason, I, could, I said, I can't do it, Roger, I can't, this is, I, I can't do it, I, this is not me, I can't do it. Said, of course you can, what do you mean you can't do it? Nobody says you can, Lou, who are your Rush Limbaugh, you can't do it? Sent me out, and I did it. A lot of people would have said, yeah, you can't do it. Oh, you can't do it, you don't want to do it? Okay, okay, well, maybe we'll cancel tonight's show and we'll... But Roger um, does not tolerate or accept failure in people, nor does he accept people feeling secondary. He is a genuine human being who is able to bring out the absolute best in everyone who works for him and works with him. And I, don't, I have never met anybody in my life who is able to do that. And especially in a large organization like Fox News, that at this time in 2009, 1,700 people. Stop and think about it, folks. Think about establishing a culture that no matter when you tune in to Fox News as a consumer, as an audience member with expectations that you're going to get what you expect from a man who's never on camera, who's not writing scripts, 
who's not on the phone with producers and demanding this or that, hiring the right people, vetting the right people, inspiring them and motivating and turning them loose. Not many people can do it. Roger Ailes has accomplished things in life that few people will ever even attempt. And it's one of the reasons why there are so many people who are jealous, so many people who are envious, and so many people who want to knock all of this down and characterize it as something other than what it is. And what it is, what it was, was greatness. There's more. I, I appreciate your indulging me in this. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.